and come to church week after week and you kind of wonder, well, what, what is God, is God doing anything? I know he's doing something, but, you know, can I see what he's doing? And sometimes we take the common things, the things that we expect for granted when it comes to seeing what God is doing. And I think a 50th wedding anniversary, although that's a big milestone, but you just think about that and how God is working and continuing to work in lives. So if we take time and we think about it a little bit, we can see what God is doing around us. And um, I mentioned last week that Diane, who was baptized, she's going to be moving. Okay, she's moving. She sent us uh, just a thank, uh, a, a nice thank you uh, card just to express her thankfulness for our church. And uh, she has her new address here. So we're going to post this on the bulletin board and you can get her new address. And I'm sure she would be really encouraged about uh, hearing from you. And uh, I'm sure that would, that would be something that um, would just, uh, she would find joy in. And um, you can pray for her because as you know, Probably, you know, when you move somewhere new, one of the things that you have to do is find a church to go to. And uh, that can be a difficult thing. And so just pray that the Lord would give her wisdom and that she would uh, meet the right people to direct her to uh, the, the, the church where she can not only attend, but where she can serve and be active. Because, uh, you know, you don't need just attenders. You need people who want to serve the Lord. And um, she wants to do that. And so pray for uh, Diane. And um, also continue. I know we've, we've had Ethan on our prayer request. He's got some more tests coming up. And so pray for, pray for those tests. Pray for the scheduling of those tests that, the, that uh, it would be scheduled uh, sooner rather than later. And just that there would be some clarity as to uh, his condition, what's exactly happening to, with his body, okay? So there would be some answers there. So why don't you uh, bow your heads with me, and I want to pray here as we move to the next portion of our service. Father, we give you thanks for our nation. We're thankful uh, that in the founding of our nation, it was founded based upon biblical and Christian principles. And Father, even though uh, we often wonder um, where our country has drifted to, uh, we can still look back and be thankful for the fact uh, that we live in a country that has been overwhelmingly influenced by your word. And uh, Lord, that gives us hope, but what gives us more hope than that is that we don't just have to look to the past, but we can see now how you're working. We see you working in the lives of people all around us, and so we give you thanks. We give you thanks for our country. We give you thanks for the freedom that we enjoy. And Father, I would pray for us that we would not take our freedom for granted, but that we would use it to serve you in the most effective way possible. 
Uh, Lord, be with Diane. Be with her as she's with her mother right now in Michigan, but as uh, she is moving to Wilmington, we ask that you would give her wisdom and direction as she uh, looks for uh, a new church and looks to make friends there. I just pray that uh, you would guide and direct her as she wants to serve you and uh, live for you. Lord, and uh, be with Ethan and the Alcarezes as he has more tests coming up. We pray that those would uh, be scheduled uh, quickly. And Lord, we just ask for some uh, clear answers and um, clear directions in his life uh, with regards to his body. And uh, we're so thankful that they had a good trip away and now that they're uh, back home. And uh, Lord, I uh, just pray that you would be with them. And uh, Father, now as we're getting ready to look at your word, pray that we would have good attentions. Help us to be able to set aside those things that often distract us in life, whether we're thinking about what's going to happen later today or tomorrow or next month. And help us just for these brief moments for us to draw our attention to your word and the things that you want to say to us this morning. And we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Uh, for our scripture reading this morning, I would like us to turn to Isaiah 49. Now, I know I'm breaking, I'm breaking the pattern of the Proverbs here, but uh, turn to Isaiah 49. And I'm going to start reading in verse 1. Isaiah chapter 49, verse 1. Listen, O coastlands, to me, and take heed, you peoples from afar. The Lord has called me from the womb, from the matrix of my mother. He has made mention of my name. He has made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadows of his hand, he has hidden me and made me a polished shaft. In his quiver, he has hidden me. He said to me, you are my servant, O Israel, in whom I will be glorified. Then I said, I have labored in vain, I have spent my strength for nothing and in vain, yet surely my reward is with the Lord and my work with God. And now the Lord says, who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him, so that Israel is gathered to him. For I, shall, for I shall be glorious in the eyes of the Lord, and my God shall be my strength. Now, particularly notice verse 6. Indeed, he says, as the Lord says, It is too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved ones of Israel. I will also give you as a light to the Gentiles, that you should be my salvation to the ends of the earth. 
Isaiah chapter 49, verses 1 through 6. Just a couple comments here about verse 6. This is a messianic prophecy. This is talking about the Messiah. It's not talking about Isaiah, the writer. So this is talking about Jesus Christ several hundred years before he was born. And the Lord says it's too, it's too small of a thing. It's too little of a task for his servant, for the Messiah, for Jesus Christ, just to raise up the tribes of Jacob and restore the preserved ones of Israel. It's too small of a thing for the Lord to save and restore the nation of Israel. Although that's still that's going to happen. That's still in the future. That's still going to happen. We see here the second purpose for the Messiah. It says, I will also give you as a light to the Gentiles. That's talking about Jesus Christ was sent into the world to provide salvation for the Gentiles. Most of us here are Gentiles. All of us here, as far as I know, maybe there's someone who's got a little Jewish blood in them. But most of us are Gentiles. And we see hundreds of years before Christ came, the Lord said, God said, he is coming not just for Israel, but he is coming also to give salvation to the Gentiles. And that means freedom in Christ is for everybody. Freedom in Christ through salvation is for everyone. And so this is a very encouraging passage to us. That God is not partial in his offer of salvation. It goes out to everyone. So wonderful messianic passage. Uh, now, since you ha already have your Bibles open, turn to 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 2. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 2. Uh, one of the great questions of the contemporary church especially conservative Christian, uh, conservative churches. I was going to say conservative Christian churches, but it's by definition uh, a church is Christian. Um, one of the questions that we face is, where have all the young people gone? Several years ago, Ken Ham of Answers in Genesis. Everybody know who Ken, we know who Ken Ham is, Answers in Genesis, Ark Encounter, the Creation Museum. He wrote a book called Already Gone. You can see it. This is what it looks like. Already Gone has a young lady on the front of it. It's going to be talking about, it talks about young people. I would recommend this book. Anybody read the, have, have read this book, Already Gone by Ken Ham? You should read it. You should read it. I would recommend it to you. Uh, but in this book, um, Ham addresses the issue of why kids who grew up in conservative evangelical churches, why have they left the church? And so he uses an outside group to survey 1,000 individuals who are between 20 and 29 years old, and he, the survey's in the book. You can read it. It's too extensive for me to talk about it here this morning. 
But the findings, the answer to the question, why have they dropped out of church, is not what you would expect. For instance, those who attend Sunday school as Christians, according to the survey now, those who attend Sunday school as children are more likely to deny that the Bible is totally true, more likely to defend abortion, homosexual rights, and premarital sex. And isn't that the exact opposite of what we think? We think, go to Sunday school, learn what the Word of God says, and this provides this. But this survey seems to indicate something different. It might even be more shocking to us to learn that these young people who have left the church didn't leave when they went to college. That's not when they left the church. 90% of the young people who have left the church left before they went to college. They start as early as middle school, leaving the church. Sometimes parents contribute to that because they got all sorts of activities. Instead of going to church, we, get, we have soccer, we have baseball. All these things that happen now when church is taking place. So let me ask you a question. How many of you, and you don't, of course, need to answer this question out loud, but how many of you know young people who were raised in a church but have now dropped out? I think most of us can probably name at least one person, probably several people that we know who were raised in a church and have dropped out. And when we think about that, there is a fundamental problem that is going on. And while part of this problem can be attributed to salvation, were these people ever saved? In, in the survey in this book, most of the people surveyed claim to be Christians, to have a born-again experience. And so there's something else that has to be behind this, but just uh, other than just salvation. And I wish I had the definitive answer to this, because if I did, I would write a book. Okay? I would write a book. I do have some ideas. I do have some opinions. But, opinions, but what I want you to know, the most of all, is it doesn't have to be that way. Children do not have to grow up and leave uh, the church. In Ham's book, he suggests that the problem, is not, it, it, the problem is not whether or not we are teaching our children the Bible. He says that we are teaching our children the Bible. But we're not teaching them why the Bible says what it says. And when they get put in a position in school, in college, where they are confronted with opposition, they don't know how to answer the questions. They don't know how to support that the Bible teaches that God created the heavens and the earth in six literal days. They don't know how to do that. They've just been told God created. And when that happens, they come under the influence of our culture and they start to question and doubt what the Bible says. And so today we're going to take a brief look at one of the outstanding young persons in Christianity, a man named Timothy. And what I want us to see here this morning is that our young people do not have to abandon the church. They can actually be a Timothy. 
Timothy never went to Sunday school. Timothy never went to youth group. He, had never, he never attended a VBS, but he turned out faithful to the very end. And so in your sermon notes there, I give you an outline of what we covered so far um, from last week. And uh, so you can, you can look at that and to keep up with where we're going uh, today. But last week we started a salutation and we looked at the writer. We looked at his name. He's Paul. His, he's an apostle. He's an apostle of Jesus Christ, and he received his apostolic commission by God the Father and God the Son. And today we want to uh, finish what we were building on last week and look at the recipient. So if Paul's the writer of this letter of 1 Timothy, who is uh, the recipient? So look at verse 2. Verse 2. It says, to Timothy, a true son in the faith. And we can stop right there. So I want us to consider four things about this phrase. Timothy, a true son in the faith. Uh, first thing we observe right away is his name. Is his name. His name is Timothy. Uh, that name is made up of two words, right? You understand this. Two words. Timo, or Tame is what it says in Greek, and The, or Theos. So it's made up of the words. The first word means honor, and the second word means God. Time means honor, so Timo here, if you just draw a line down in the middle of his name, Timo means honor, and the the means God for theos. And so Timothy means something like one who honors God or one who is honored by God. So here's his name, Timothy. Uh, we also know something about his family. Uh, so we're going to flip in our Bible here a little bit. So first I want you to turn to 2 Timothy chapter uh, 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1, put your finger there. Okay, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 1, put your finger there. And then turn to Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16. And uh, if you've got an extra sheet of paper there, scrap piece of paper, throw it in Acts chapter 16 because we're going to be coming back to this chapter uh, several times. And so you should be in Acts chapter 16 right now. You got 2 Timothy marked, you're in Acts chapter 16. We're going to see something about Timothy's family here. Look at verse 1, Acts chapter 16, verse 1. It says, Then he came to Derbe, that's talking about Paul, came to Derbe and Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple was there named Timothy. So Timothy's a disciple the son of a certain Jewish woman who believed, but his father was Greek. And so what can we observe about Timothy's family from this verse? Well, number one, he has a mother and he has a father, right? So we observe, we observe that. We observe that his mother ethnically is a Jew, right? His mother's a Jew, but his father is not. His father is a Greek. And so what's that tell you? Timothy comes from a mixed family and mixed background, okay? So he has a mother, he has a father, his mother's a Jew, his father's a Greek. And what else does it tell us about his mother here? It says, who believed? She's a believer. So not only was Timothy a believer, his mother was a believer. And it seems to be that his father wasn't because it doesn't say anything about that. It just says that he's a Greek. 
And so this is what we learn here about Timothy's family from this passage. Now flip over to 2 Timothy. Get your finger there already. Mark, remember, Mark chapter 16 of Acts. Okay. Now flip over to 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5. Again, the question is, what can we see about Timothy's family here? It says, when I, that's Paul, called to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, that's Timothy, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded is in you also. And so here we see that not only does Timothy have a mother, he has a grandmother, and we know the name of his grandmother and mother. His grandmother's name is Lois, and his mother's name is Eunice. I don't think either of those names are real popular right now. <laughs> but we see that's, that's the name of his grandmother and his mother, and that these two women are believers, both of them are believers because it talks about the, the faith that was first in his grandmother and mother. So they were believers before Timothy was believers. And so I don't think it's presumptuous for us to assume that Timothy, at least in part, was raised according to the Christian faith. He was not raised according to Judaism. Even though his mother was a Jew, he wasn't raised that way because in Acts chapter 16, when Paul gets Timothy and takes him, the first thing he has to do is have him circumcised. Because he wasn't circumcised already, that tells us he was not raised in, in Judaism. He was not raised as, as a Jew. But because his grandmother and his mother are believers, I think it's at least likely that Timothy was raised at least in part according to the Christian faith. So we, we know Timothy, we know his name, we have his family, and we know where he lived. Now this is back, you don't have to turn there, but back in Acts chapter 16 verse 1, we already read it, it says that um, when Paul came to Derby and Lystra, Lystra is Timothy's hometown. This is where Timothy's from. He's from Lystra. So we, we know his mother and grandmother. We know his spiritual background. We know his ethnicity. And we know where he is from. And, and now I want to consider what did he do for Paul? What did he do for Paul? Timothy, we got this very special young man. And so what did he do for Paul, how did he fit in with Paul and his ministry? So I'm going to give you four things here, and we're not going to look these up because it would, it would take a little bit too much time. But I'm also going to give you the references. All right. So if you're writing, if you're writing down, get your paper, get your pen. I'm going to tell you how Timothy relates to the Apostle Paul or, or, or what he does for the Apostle Paul. Number one, he's a traveling companion of Paul a traveling companion. This was found in Acts chapter 17, verse 14, and Acts chapter 20, verse 4. So he's a traveling companion. He's a co-worker with Paul. Co-worker, that's the key word there, co-worker. That's found in Romans chapter 16, verse 21. Romans 16, 21. Thirdly, he's an encourager encourager to Paul. 
1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 6. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 6. And finally, number 4, he's a representative for Paul. A representative for Paul. Timothy would go to places where Paul either couldn't go or didn't want to go. I mean, he didn't want to go in the sense he had something else that took priority. So he would send Timothy. Timothy was one of the people he would use as his representative. So uh, four things, traveling companion, secondly, co-worker, thirdly, an encourager, and fourthly, a representative. And so these are all the things that Timothy did for Paul. So we're learning about Timothy's person. Uh, the final thing that I want us to consider is what do we know about Timothy from church history? Now, church history is not inspired, but oftentimes it's still true, okay? Things don't have to be inspired to be true, but we know that things that are inspired are true, okay? Math is not inspired. Two plus two equals four is not inspired, but it's still true, all right? So what do we know about Timothy from church history? Well, the main thing that we know about Timothy from church history is that he died as a martyr. He died as a martyr at the age of about 80 years old in Ephesus. So that tells us. Timothy, as a young man, begins and is faithful to the Lord all the way to the end of his life. And he gives his life for the Lord. Timothy's a faithful young man. Uh, you know, the importance of Christian parents cannot be overstated. Uh, granted, you can raise your children according to the Christian faith, but you can't make them Christians. And even though you can't make your children Christians, isn't it better to teach them that the fundamental truths of life come from the Bible and to teach them at an early age. Teach them that instead of them trying to figure out life on their own. Uh, the number one priority of a Christian parent is to raise your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. That's your number one priority. Okay? That comes before everything else. And that's a big job, right? It's a big job for parents to raise children. And let me say, there's a vast difference between raising your children as cultural Christians or in cultural Christianity. There's a difference between doing that and raising them in a genuine Christian faith. And here's the difference. In cultural Christianity, it's all about checking the box. It's about doing the things that we believe our culture expects Christians to do. It's about a veneer of Christianity a veneer of activity and external behavior, but it's spiritually bankrupt. It's spiritually empty because it's all about activities. It's all about what people can see you do. Genuine Christianity, while it does have some things that are similar, it is fundamentally different because the external expressions that come out of genuine Christianity come from a change that has happened on the inside, a change of heart that God has affected in the individual. And so if you raise your children in cultural Christianity, your children will eventually see it for what it is. It's hypocrisy. It's fake. It's fake news. 
right? If you raise your children in genuine Christianity, your children will see the authenticity of your faith. And so parents and grandparents, here's the thing to remember. You do not know how God is going to use one little word or one little action that you do to draw your children or grandchildren to himself. You don't know. You don't know how God is going to use that. You don't know how God is going to be using your faithful testimony and witness to your children and grandchildren to affect them spiritually. But here's what we do know. Here's what we do know. God does not draw people to himself in the absence of the gospel. That's how God draws people to himself, through the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel must be given, Romans chapter 10. And a faithful Christian life lived does make a difference. It does make a difference. And so parents, grandparents, as you think about your children and your grandchildren, and you wonder what you can do, what can I do to influence my children or grandchildren? I mean, maybe you blew it. Most parents have blown it at one time or another, right? There should be a lot of amens there. So most of the time we blow it at one time or another. So what can we do? A faithful Christian life demonstrated before our children and grandchildren will have an effect. And so here's the person of Timothy. Now let's look at his character. Real quickly, his character. Uh, first, I want us to see that he has a good testimony. Now, here we're back in Acts chapter 16. I want you to look at this. Acts chapter 16, verse 2. Timothy has a good testimony. Acts chapter 16, verse 2. It says, He was well spoken of by the brethren who were at Lystra, and Iconium. Now, Lystra is his hometown. Iconium is not. And so that tells us other people, not only in his hometown, but other people outside of his hometown could testify of the good Christian character of Timothy. They could give testimony that Timothy was a believer in Jesus Christ. So Timothy had a good testimony. Uh, secondly, we see that Timothy was devoted to Paul. He was devoted to Paul. Turn to 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 9 and 10. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 9 and 10. Notice what it says here. It says, this is Paul talking, writing to Timothy. He says, be diligent to come to me quickly. Why? Verse 10. For Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world, and has departed for Thessalonica. So what I want you to see here is that there are some who have forsaken Paul. There are some that were with Paul who have left Paul, turned their back on the ministry, turned their back on the Lord, and have sought other things. But Timothy is somebody Paul could rely upon. That's why he's asking him to come to him. And a little bit later on, he tells him to bring his cloak and bring the parchments, the scriptures, uh, to him. 
So Timothy was devoted to Paul, but we also see that Timothy is devoted to God. He is devoted to God. Now turn back a page or two, back to 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 20. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 20. Actually, I want to pick it up in verse 19. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 19. Having faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected concerning the faith, have suffered shipwreck, verse 20, of whom, so these are the people who have shipwrecked their faith, of whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, who I delivered to Satan that they may learn not to blaspheme. So uh, Hymenaeus and Alexander have turned their back on the, their faith, but Timothy has remained. Uh, turn to the right just a bit to chapter 6, verse 20. Let me illustrate this again with this verse. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 20. Uh, Paul again writes to Timothy, O Timothy, guard what was committed to your trust. Guard what was committed to your trust. Look at verse 21. By professing it, some have strayed concerning the faith. So Paul is telling Timothy, stay the course. Stay faithful to God. Don't be like these people who have strayed from the faith. And what we find, remember I already told you, how did Timothy die? What does church history tell us? He died as a martyr for his Lord. He stayed true to God. He was devoted to God. Fourthly, we see that Timothy had a servant's heart. He had a servant's heart. He was willing to do what was asked him, and he was asked to do some pretty tough things. Some pretty hard uh, things. You know, and when Paul asked him, Timothy, will you go here? Timothy could have said, you know, Paul, I'd, I'd really rather stay with you. I'd really rather stay and hang out with you and just be around other committed Christians. But he didn't. He said, I'll go. I'll go. And so we also see that Timothy not only had a servant's heart, but he, had a, he was gifted for ministry. He was gifted for ministry. Uh, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 18. Look what it says there about Timothy. He says, this, I char this charge I commit to you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may wage the good warfare. He's talking about prophecies that were made about Timothy because of the ministry that he was going to have. Okay, let me give you a connected verse. 2 Timothy chapter 1, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6. Chapter 1, verse 6. It says, Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Timothy was gifted for ministry. And finally, or actually, you got two more points here under his character. Uh, he was a young man. That, that probably might not fit his character. That might be more fitting under his person, but it's here, right? So this is where it's going to be. So he was a young man. Uh, remember in chapter 4, verse 12 of 1 Timothy, Paul says, Let no one despise your youth. You remember that phrase? Let no one despise your youth. The, the word youth there denotes a person who is younger than 40. I think it actually 
It's talking about a person who's closer to 30 than 40, but they're no older than 40. To be this youth, you have to be under uh, 40. And Paul is using this word in contrast to the word older. Or, so he uses younger in contrast to the word older. And what I want you to understand there is that uh, Paul is asking Timothy to do something that is not normally expected from a younger person. It's expected of an older person. He's, he's telling him to be a leader and take charge and act as a ruler. And you don't expect young people to do that. Paul is expecting Timothy to do that very thing. Now, consider this. Paul's second ministry trip began in about A.D. 46. A.D. 46. Second ministry trip. Paul writes this letter in A.D. 63, or roughly A.D. 63, give or take a year or so. So what's that? A 17-year difference. And so if Timothy is in his mid to late teens, you can pick an age, add 17 years to it, and you come up roughly with Timothy's age when he receives this letter. He's going to be roughly 30 years of age. Timothy is a young man who has been in constant service for the Lord for almost two decades, and he's not yet 40 years old. I finally just considered that Timothy was raised in the church. He was raised in the church. His, his mother and grandmother raised him according to the faith. What I want you to see here is that Timothy is an example. When we look at the Timothy's character, he's an, he's an example to us that young people don't need to sow their wild oats. They don't need to do that. We let them do that. We tell them it's okay for them to do that. They do not have to do that. Young people do not need to drift from the Lord. And from the time Timothy was young, to the time he died, his testimony was as a faithful follower of Jesus Christ. So we've seen his person, we've seen his character. Now let's look at his relationship to Paul. Uh, Paul, now we're back in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 2. Paul says that Timothy is a true son in the faith. A true son in the faith. And what I want you to see here is that this phrase is, is talking about a spiritual relationship. It's speaking of a spiritual relationship, not a physical one. So it says, in the faith, or more accurately, in faith. It's talking about that Paul and Timothy both have this mutual trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. They are both trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ, and that brings them into a relationship that gives them a bond. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever been somewhere, met a person you've never seen before, you're having a conversation with them, you find out that they are a believer, then you sense, we have, we have a bond here. We sense we have a relationship here that you didn't know until you figured out they were a Christian. There is a bond that Christians have in the Lord Jesus Christ. Those who have trusted in Jesus Christ as their Savior have a bond in Christ together, and this is the bond 
that Paul is talking about here. It, it's a spiritual relationship. Um, also notice here, uh, secondly, that it's speaking of a close relationship. It's not just a distant spiritual relationship. It's a close relationship. Paul says, a true son. A true son. So he uses family language. He uses the language of parent and child. The, the word son here actually is the word child. It's not the word son. It's the word uh, child here. Some translations translated as son because Timothy's a male, but it's talking about it's a child. It's the word child. And this is an expression, this true son, this true child expression. Paul only uses it of Timothy and Titus. So it's a special reference. It's only reserved for special people. This is a very special kind of relationship that Paul has with Timothy. Timothy was the offspring of Paul's ministry. He's a son in the faith. Paul helped produce Christian Timothy. So we have his person, we have his character, we have his relationship with Paul. And finally, let's look at his position here real quick. Timothy is an apostolic representative. He's an apostolic representative. I mentioned last week that Timothy was not a pastor, at least not in the way we think of pastors today. He was the personal representative of the Apostle Paul, which is really an itinerant ministry. He came and went. He didn't stay at churches long term. He, he went to a church before reason, and then he would stay there as long as it, he needed to, and then he would leave and move on to the next church or go back to be with Paul. So he is an apostolic representative, and that's different than being a pastor because pastors don't have the authority of an apostle. Timothy would have had the authority of an apostle because Paul was the apostle who sent him. Also, we want to see here that Paul sent Timothy in this capacity as an apostolic representative to no less than four churches. Paul sent Timothy to four churches as his personal representative. Let me give you those churches. Number one, Corinth. He sent him to Corinth. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17. Corinth, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17. He sent him to Ephesus. Ephesus, that's our, that's our letter here. This letter is to Timothy in Ephesus. He sent him to Thessalonica. That's number three. He sent him to the church at Thessalonica. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 2. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 2. And he sent him, number four, to Philippi. Philippi, Philippians 2, 19. Philippians 2, uh, 19. So these are four churches that we know about that Paul sent Timothy is his representative there. And think about these churches. The church at Corinth, lots of problems, lots and lots of problems. The church at Ephesus, we're going to find out a major problem, a huge problem in the church of Ephesus. Uh, the church of Thessalonica, the church at Philippi, they had persecution problems. They were being persecuted all the time. And here's Timothy sent to try to encourage them. Timothy's ministry in this position as Paul's representative 
was not just a happy, joyful thing. Timothy, when he was sent out alone, he did not get to experience the joy of planting new churches and seeing converts come to the Lord. He went to problem churches. He went to a church when there was a defined, definite problem, and he comes in to solve the problem. Sometimes he doesn't get to see the solution to that. That would take a toll on somebody, don't you think? Just going to churches, and you just see the trash, and you don't get to see it cleaned up. That would take a toll on somebody. And that explains why Paul writes to Timothy the way he does. He writes to him in such a warm way. So Timothy is the recipient of this letter. He is the recipient of this letter. Here's what I want us to understand when we think about Timothy, this young man who has been faithful to the Lord from the time he was young to the time he was old. The Bible, or excuse me, the world, has been telling us for decades that young people have to find themselves. You ever hear that? Young people have to find themselves. They have to go discover who they are. And only when they find themselves will they find their place in society and life. Therefore, they say, we need to encourage our young people to do this. We need to give them the space so that they can find themselves. We need to not force the limitations that our parents put on us to our children. They need the space and freedom to discover who they are. That's a lie. That's a lie. It comes from Satan and it comes through the world to us. And some people in the church have accepted this. Young people do not need to find themselves. They need to find the Lord. They do not need to discover who they are. They need to go to the Bible to see who God says they are. When people are told to find themselves, that they must discover who they are, it opens the door to all kinds of errors and perversions. Why is a man participating in the women's competition in the Olympics? Why is that happening? Somebody said, go discover who you are. Discover for yourself who you are. And when you do that, it opens the door. I can be anybody I want to be. I can do anything that I want to do, which it used to be, well, you can have whatever job you want. But now it's become, I can choose what gender I want to be. I can choose how I can be, I am referred to. All of this, that's just one example. All of this is a consequence of denying biblical truth. To encourage young people to focus on themselves, not only as a denial of biblical truth, not only is it leading them uh, down a path of error and perversion, it's putting them on a journey that has no end. It has no end. It has no meaningful answers. When you tell somebody to discover who you are, there is no answer to that. They can find no answer to that. And because of that, young people have all sorts of depression, despair, 
despondency and desperation. And we see that in the lives of people that come out in so many different ways. One of the key ways that this is being pressed on our young people today is in the area of sexuality. And so we're talking about young people, and I just want to read you some statistics, okay? These statistics are not Christian. They either come from pro-LGBTQ organizations or the government. Homosexuals aged 10 to 24, so we're talking about young people, three times more likely to contemplate suicide than their peers. Three times. Five times more likely to attempt suicide. People who claim to be transgender males, 50% of them, talking about young people, 50% of them attempt suicide. Transgender females, 30% attempt suicide. LGBTQ young people, 77% say they're depressed. 95% say they have trouble sleeping. 70% say they feel worthless and hopeless. And these are all young people who our society has said, go discover who you are and who you want to be. If these statistics are even close to being correct, it shows that there is a fundamental problem when young people are allowed and encouraged to find themselves. They do not come up with the right answer. Timothy gives us the right answer. Timothy shows us things do not have to be that way. Young people can come to Christ at an early age and remain faithful to Christ throughout their lives. They don't need to search inside themselves. They don't need to go through the world to find out who they are. They need to search the scriptures and see that they are created in the image of God and therefore they have intrinsic value. And when they are saved, they are a new creation in Christ. Past sinfulness is gone. They are brand new. They have their identity in God and Jesus Christ. Who they are is who God says they are. So how can we encourage our people, our young people, in this way? We've got a number of young people here this morning. How can we encourage them to be Timothys and not like the rest of the world? Well, number one, parents cannot delegate their role to nurture, to, to raise their children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. They cannot delegate that away. They can't give it away. It's not Sunday school teacher's job. It's not the pastor's job. It's not the church, church's job. The church's job is to support our parents as they do that. That's what the church is for. I think even in our Constitution it says something like that. I vaguely remember that. And so we need to do that. We need to support parents as they are raising their children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And that looks like all sorts of things. Secondly, we need to teach our young people from the absolute youngest age correct biblical doctrine. And that is more than just a list of do's and don'ts. That is more than just saying, well, this is right and good and this is wrong. Teaching our young people correct 
doctrine is teaching them why the Bible says that is the correct doctrine. Why is the Bible true? Why is Jesus the only way to salvation? That is what we have to be teaching our young people. And while it's appropriate for certain ages to be told, this is right and this is wrong and you do it, you don't need to know why. Children need to know why a whole lot sooner than what we think. They need to hear why, the reason for the command. Here's a helpful tip here for you who teach people. You talk to people. Don't say Bible stories. Don't say Bible stories. Say the biblical account, the biblical record, not Bible stories. Bible stories make it sound like it could be a fairy tale, not Bible stories. And when you're teaching, and this could be in a home Bible study, this could be in a Sunday school class, this could be anywhere. When you teach, don't open the Sunday school curriculum and read from it. Don't do that. Don't open the study book and just look at it. Pick up your Bible so people see that you are going to the Bible for your answers. If you use a track to witness to somebody, yeah, the scripture might be written in the track, but it is better for people to read it out of the Bible themselves. Carry a New Testament with you. They can read it right out of there for themselves. We have to teach people, especially our young people, sound biblical Doctrine. Finally, we have to engage our young people in serving the Lord. There is no age where all of a sudden you become ready to serve the Lord. We have to engage them in serving the Lord now. Young people can serve in so many ways. Pick out the trash, run a sweeper. They can do all sorts of things to serve the Lord. And we have to be willing and we have to ask them to do that. Most young people aren't going to volunteer. But you know what? If you ask them, most young people will say, yes, I'll do that. Ask them to serve the Lord and give them something to do. Then, then be willing, then be willing for them not to do it right. For them to make a mistake. And for you to come beside them kindly and compassion and say, this is how it's to be done. That's what we have to be willing to do. When young people are taught the truth of the Bible, understanding the truth of the Bible, when they see that truth lived out, and they are engaged in living that truth out themselves, they are much more likely to be a Timothy than an Alexander. They're much more likely to be a Timothy than a Demas. And so the question is, what are you doing to produce Timothys? What are we doing as a church to produce Timothy's? So I've been personally convicted by this, and so I'm going to do something about it, but I'm not going to do it as the pastor of the church. I'm just going to do it as a church member who's interested in our people. So it won't be a, a church thing. It'll be me as a church member, a Christian, who desires to reach out to young people. So I'm going to do something about that. What are you going to do? We need more Paul and Timothy kinds of people in our church. So I'm going to ask you some questions, and you answer it in your heart. If we need more, more Timothys and Pauls in our church, are you willing to join me in addressing that issue? Are you willing to join me to see that happen?
Who's willing to pray for our young people every day? Who's willing to do that? Who's willing to get involved with our young people? You are never too old to get involved. Never too old to get involved. If we as a church fail to nurture, disciple, and encourage our young people, what's the result going to be? It's going to be what it has been for years and years, and our young people will leave the church, but they don't have to. It doesn't have to be that way. Timothy is just one example of a Christian young man saved at an early age and lived faithfully for the Lord for the rest of his life. Well, we're not going to get to point three of my sermon from last week. That's the greeting. So in three weeks when I come back, we're going to pick up point three, the greeting. We'll, we'll probably make some more progress there. Um, and so this week, just the recipient that we're talking about with Timothy and the challenge for us to produce more Timothys. Why don't you stand with me and we'll be dismissed to our fellowship time. And I would encourage you, stick around for the fellowship time, enjoy some coffee, enjoy uh, whatever's back there to munch on, and uh, then stick around for Sunday school. We have the ladies' Sunday school class, we have the kids' Sunday school class classes, and we have uh, the pastor's class. That's what I'm calling it because I can't. I'm not very creative about calling things. So uh, we have the pastor's class uh, right in here, uh, immediately following the fellowship time. Father, we give you thanks for this time that we've had together, Lord. Help us to raise Timothys from our church. Give us a burden for our young people. And Lord, help us to take responsibility that you have given us to see that our young people grow in you. Lord, we know we can't make them do it, but we can give them everything that is needed for them to know you as their savior and to live for you faithfully. Help us do that. Give us the vision and give us the strength. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.